Hey everybody, it's Muses and Murderers podcast here with Angelique Jordana and our guest Nicole Sperano and I am AJ Mulliken and uh, yeah, everybody say hi. Hello there. Hi. Hi. Uh, thanks for having me, you guys. Hey, it's no problem. Thanks for being on the show for us. So tell us yeah, about your, uh, your, your debut novel, um, your first book, Pomegranate. Tell us about that because it sounds really interesting. Um, so Pomegranate kind of got started back in college, so we're talking like 10 years ago now. <laughs> you mean like, like five, off... five months ago, right? Hmm? Like five months ago, right? Because we're all yeah, really yeah. young. Yeah, yeah, totally. I'm not down, 21. <laughs> <laughs> and I was really into script writing and to be honest I kind of have no clue where the idea came from like a lot of people will ask me like where did you get this idea no clue I can't remember um, but I started writing it in college and I had this idea to take a bunch of Greek myths and completely reinvent them and to turn them into a story that was brand new that was all like something that I came up with and I am a huge fan of like really strong like female main characters so I really wanted to center it around a goddess but my favorite kind of gods are the gods of death like I love Anubis from Egyptian mythology I mm -hmm. like Hells from Norse mythology um, and so I was like well, it would be really really awesome if Hades was a woman and it kind of just exploded from there and I started off as a script but I didn't outline it and I hated it and <laughs> so I went back after I graduated did a complete outline and then turned it into a novel cool so that's kind of how it got started <laughs> all right so it's so it's, had anyone have an issue with Hades being a woman for the most part no I mean I do kind of tie in the whole how and why we think Hades is a man, like, and the, the third brother of, like, the, you know, trinity of Greek mythology, I guess you can call them. But um, I have had some people who didn't love that idea, but, I mean, that's how everything goes. Uh, I was going to say, you're going to get your purists anywhere you go who are, like, oh, no, this can't be, you can't change this because that's not how mm -hmm. it was. And and you're going to get those um, those kind of misogynists who are just like, no, you can't make this person a woman. They're a man. They're supposed to be a man, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, I mean, you know, my book kind of goes into that a little bit. Obviously, I don't want to give away too much, but it kind of goes into the whole, like, why we think Hades is a man like in the myth nowadays mm -hmm. and uh i kind of like view this as like an origin story this is the gods before the myths were ever written down like this is them when they're all young they're all like well they look like in their 30s they're really centuries old but a lot of times we think of zeus as this like gray-haired bearded man and i have him written as this like six foot huge blonde you know Right. Pretty much. <laughs> well, sometimes you have to update um, 
sometimes you have to update the, the stories a bit because, you know, back then um, I, I, I took some art history classes in college, uh, you know, five months mm -hmm. ago, uh, like you, and, um, and <laughs> it was... It was, you know, the, the, the beards was an indicator of wisdom and age. So if they want Zeus to be all-powerful, they're going to give him a beard because he's supposed, mm -hmm. to be, he's supposed to be wise. He's supposed to be, you know, the, the penultimate god. So, yeah, they're going to throw a beard on him. Doesn't mean every depiction of Zeus ever has to have the beard. That's just how everyone's used to seeing it because that was the, that was the tradition then. Yes, definitely. And also, like, another, you know, reason why I wanted to kind of change it was because a lot of us know these stories, so I felt like staying too true to myth would get boring after a while, because it's almost like you'd just be reading a retelling, where this is a complete reinvention. So, the gods are younger, none of them really act the same, you know, in this one, in, well, in Pomegranate, and obviously... The characters evolved throughout the series, but in Pomegranate, um, Zeus is set up pretty much right away as almost an antagonist, which in most, you know, in most myths, he's always a hero, even if he is annoying. Yeah. So I kind of did it like Hades is always evil, and Zeus is always, you know, almighty, and if you really look at the mythology, Hades was really the only one that kind of like minded his own business except for when it came to Persephone, but he's the only one that ever really minded his own business and did what he actually said he was going to do. So out of all of them, he was probably the most honorable, and yet Zeus gets all the glory. So I kind of wanted to flip it and be like, yeah, Zeus is cool because he's flashy, but in all reality, Hades was the coolest, if you ask me. <laughs> <laughs> Now it's gotten to the point now where I hear Hades, I automatically think woman. So it's real weird for me to be like, when people <laughs> say he, I'm like, no, what? <laughs> You've like rewritten it already in your own personal mythology, so you just don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm all for changing things up. I think it shows creativity and it makes things more interesting. Whereas I, I, I have seen people get a little uh, crazy when you try and change their favorites. Yeah, um, and it's all on how it's done, too. Because um, mm -hmm. you can have, like, like we'll just talk adaptations just because that's the modern version of retelling of stories nowadays. Um, yeah. You, you get these book-to-movie adaptations, we'll say, and it's like, it's like they made this person a different race or they made this person a chick, you know? When... Mm -hmm. When Battlestar Galactica was remade, they turned Starbuck into a chick, and there was hell raised over that. And then the show aired, and people were like, oh, hey, Katie Sackhoff is actually good in this role. <laughs> mm -hmm. And they kind of yeah. shut their traps because it was like, it, it, it was like nobody had had wanted to be open to to the interpretation of Starbuck as a woman or, you know just one example there, but it, it's like, I think that we tend to become too tied in to our version of what we think things are. And I mm -hmm. think that what you're doing is, is excellent, you know, um, opening up minds and opening up possibilities. Like it doesn't have to be the way the Greeks told it, you know, I mean, 
it's you got you got to look at things with fresh eyes and um, and kind of open yourself up to to change and to um, possibly things being better than they were originally. Plus, also, like I think for me is I've always been a fan of action movies. I've always been a fan of really like really cool like tough girls but like I kind of can't stand a lot of times like in some of the movies where it's like they're the two-dimensional tough girls where they've got no depth so like for me as an author that was kind of something that I wanted to give you know women it was like a character to read that was really awesome and she had depth and layers and a little bit of darkness and a little bit of goodness but I feel like a lot of the Greek women um, they tended to be, you know, the goddess of love or the goddess of motherhood, which is great and fabulous, but they're so overdone. I kind of wanted to give women a different, a different, you know, kind of god to look at, a different woman, uh, someone who's darker and someone who can be a little bit more vicious, but someone who's really, really faithful to the people that she loves. And I, that's so that was a big thing for me too. Is I kind of wanted to give us girls a little bit more of a of a, you know, tougher God. Like, I want her to be able to fight with a big boy. <laughs> well, yeah. Not just, you know, make people fall in love. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which is nothing wrong with that. I certainly love love stories. There's definitely a big romance in Pomegranate because I take a play on the Hades and Persephone myth as well. And um, I usually like to write at least some aspect of romance in everything just because I'm a sucker for it. Even if <laughs> So speaking of Hades and Persephone, since Hades is a woman in your in in Pomegranate, um, is Persephone? Did you swap the roles there, or is she a woman too? Uh, still, um, I will say that she is a woman, but I don't really want to like say too much because it's kind of a plot point of how I deal with it in it, just in case someone wants to read and kind of like see how I play in there. Um, it's. Hmm. I don't really know how to say it without, like, giving it away because it's something that I use in there to kind of, like, I hope that when people read it, they're like, oh, I see what you did there. Okay, you know? so, yeah. Don't yeah. want to give away spoilers. As a, as a, as a Whovian, I, I am a big uh, big proponent of not giving away spoilers. So. I, that's one of my, like, biggest pet peeves. I used to work with someone who knew I hadn't seen all of Sons of Anarchy, and the minute I said, oh, I haven't seen that season, turned around and proceeded to tell me all the major characters that died throughout the rest of the show. And I just remember being like, what did you do? Oh, my <laughs> husband does that the all the time. He'll be like, he'll ask them if they've seen something and they say no. He starts telling the story. And it's like, dude, just, no, I hate that. just let them find out. <laughs> like, yeah, and I hate doing that. And that's why, like, a lot of times when it comes to, like, you know, obviously the Persephone character, and then also the Hades as, like, becoming a man or why we think he's a man. I don't really like to, like, say too much because it'll ruin the second half of the book. So that's why. But I, I can't stand it. Same thing with Game of Thrones. Same person. They, <laughs> Same uh, person. 
they got an advantage because through through my my job they saw Game of Thrones uh, before it actually aired mm. and decided to tell me that we were going to lose like people we loved and I just remember watching that whole season when it came out like panicked because I knew somebody was going to die and I can't stand that <laughs> don't tell me. I don't want to know. Well, you know, so it is I Game of Thrones. Spoilers. You kind of know someone's going to die. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's not it. Game of Thrones is out now, so yeah. sorry if it's spoiled for anybody, but it was when Jon Snow got killed, and so, like, that was a major, like, <laughs> that was major. When I saw that, I my heart broke. I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watched Game of Thrones for a couple seasons, and then it got to the Red Wedding, and <sighs> after that episode, I was like, fuck this shit. I'm not watching this show anymore. <laughs> Oh, I love that show. Actually, it's funny. When there's a character in Pomegranate, he's actually one of the major players named Valkyos. I actually kind of, like, based his appearance a little bit off of Rob Stark. <laughs> Just, nice. like, a bigger, broader, more, like, like, not, he's not a king. He's a farmer, so, but I kind of based him off of, like, Rob Stark. <laughs> Farmer's lives matter, too. <laughs> yeah. Farmer's lives matter. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I love that show. Yeah. And I love the music. Actually, I write a lot to Ramin Dizrati. Yeah. I, I like to write to music, too, but I'm not one who can write to instrumentals or something like that. Some people use white noise or instrumentals or, like, ocean waves or whatever. I, I have to have lyrics because I'm, I'm, I'm so weird. Like, my thoughts will take over. And I, I can only hear, like, my own thoughts, and I can't, like, focus because all I can hear is myself thinking. It's, it's, so, it's so weird because it's like I have to have lyrics, even if it's just background noise, like, real quiet to kind of drown out my own thoughts so that I can, um, so that I can uh, focus on, you know, the writing. I can't, I can't do it with, with silence or with, without some some kind of thing to drown out the the me there. See, that's so funny because if I listen to something with lyrics half the time I will end up like singing along and then I can't find focus. <laughs> so like I am strictly film scores. I probably own hundreds of them. Oh wow. And usually what I do is I will find one that matches the tone of what I'm writing and then I'll kind of like play that on repeat. Um so actually, Pomeranian sequel, Pitchfork, which I just got back from the proofreader, and will you know within a month should be you know released. Um, I wrote that entire book pretty much to Danheim, and now he isn't a he doesn't do soundtracks per se, but his music is all instrumental, and I think it sometimes. Actually, I don't know if it's been in the show Vikings. I know Warjuna has, but I'm not sure if he has, but. He sounds like Wardrun, and he sounds like Viking. And so my entire book was written to all of his, um, to all of his uh, albums, and a lot of like Viking warrior music outside of the neighborhood they had drank. Oh wow, that's right. Because you like to sit outside in the sun and write, don't you? I've seen on Twitter yeah. you you love to sunbathe while you write. I, I do. My neighbors probably think I'm nuts. I am. <laughs> Whitey McWhite face here. Um, 
I'm like, like, you know, like if I showed my belly, it would like blind half the state or something, you know. <laughs> so, That's how I am too. So I, I pretty much like stay indoors. Um, I go outside for like SCA events and stuff and I forget my sunscreen and burn and then everyone's like, you've got a sunburn. I'm like, yes, yes, I do. I, I hate sunscreen. <laughs> I wear it. Well, it's always greasy um, and stuff. It's never, you know, you, you put it on and it's yeah. always greasy and gross. And it's like, why can't there just be nice sunscreen that feels like regular lotion and doesn't like get all slimy and slippery and stuff? I know, I know. But, you know, obviously with the last name Serrano, I'm Italian. Yeah. And uh, so I've always tanned really well. And it's always kind of been like my happy place almost. And my mom always was like, how are you outside still? eight hours later I'm like I'm fine <laughs> I just for some reason like I get cold real easy so in the summer I take my laptop or I'll take like uh, when I edit sometimes I'll print stuff out and do paper edits mm-hmm. so this whole summer that's what I did I printed out my 280 page manuscript and I would staple them together per chapter and I would sit outside and I would make written notes in my backyard in my bathing suit, listening to Viking music. We had a new guy move in upstairs that, because I live in an apartment, but it's only two floors, and we mm-hmm. have, like, a big yard. Yeah. And we had a new guy move in upstairs, and that's how we met. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he was probably like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and and you you look very Italian, too. Um, if If... If any of you listeners go to uh, at Nicole R. Scarano, that's N-I-C-O-L-E, uh, on Twitter, you can see pictures, and she is, it's unfair, she's gorgeous, uh, <laughs> but you can tell the Italian, like, really, really shows, um, you know, in your in your photos and everything, It's it really comes out, even if you hadn't had that name, I probably would have said, oh, yeah, she's Italian. Yeah, definitely Italian, but my mom is not. My mom is only half. My mom is blonde hair, blue eyes, European. But thankfully, I got like all my dad's coloring, which is great. I love it. The only thing, though, is I do have brown hair, but my dad was born with black hair, so I dye it so that I can match him. Because <laughs> it looks like because I, you know, I'm the I'm the one I think out of all three of all three of my siblings that got mostly his coloring, so. I like to match because the black hair looks great. At least I think so. And plus, I have a thing for black hair. Like, Katie's has black hair. I have black hair. My dog has black hair. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny how stuff like that tends to pop up. You know, it's like, I almost, I've got kind of dark blonde hair um, that is starting to get the gray streaks in it. Um, But, Patients think it's highlights, so who am I to complain? <laughs> there you go. But, um, like, I try to, I find myself try to, trying to steer away from blonde-haired, blue-eyed characters in, in my current works in progress because I feel like it's just like I'm trying to um, to kind of make it all about me if I make the character look just like me. So I'm trying to go away from that. My first book, the, the, the main character was blonde with, um, well, she didn't have blue eyes, but she was blonde and tall, and I was like, uh, I gotta quit doing this. 
Because you don't want all of your yeah. characters to be like cookie cutter, like, you know, oh, yeah, here's the same the character same. with another name, and this one has a tattoo and that one didn't, so they're different, okay? Yeah. Well, in Hades doesn't start off with black hair. It only has, there's like a certain thing that happens within the book, and then, then her hair turns black. But I mean, I also feel like as the goddess, she wears all black dresses, black hair, so I kind of feel like God of Death would have a lot of black. But then again, I just, another thing, I love black clothes. <laughs> And I love black hair, but now that I'm thinking about it, another one of my characters is dark haired. <laughs> but it's that that is in a different it's a different work in progress. Of actually, it's the one I'm working on right now. It's probably in the first draft. That character, well, I, I kind of wrote her a little bit ambiguous, and there's a reason why. Like they, we only kind of describe her as like, you know, tanner and like darker hair because I kind of want it to be like almost like she could almost be like a couple different ethnicities but then there's like almost like there's then there's a blonde kid and then there is like you know so like there's a bunch of different ethnicities and hair colors within the group so she kind of embodies the more like the, the tan and dark hair but I definitely probably in other works will probably like venture out and give people different looks because you're right because you don't want everybody to look the same yeah, yeah. Um, how, much, how much of a change-up is it going from script writing to doing books? Um, pretty different. Um, I've, obviously, I haven't written a script in, in years, because once I started writing books, that kind of, like, took over. Um, but when you write scripts, there's a very um, strict structure that you have to keep, um... Like, for instance, every time you introduce a new character, their names have to be completely capitalized, like all capital letters, because when filmmakers go through then and they look at the script, they count major characters to, like, get an idea of how much the movie will cost. So they'll go through and they'll count all the... When, when you see them for the first time, so they know how many major players there are. Every page equals about one minute of screen time, so that's why most scripts are only 120 pages which is pretty short if you're trying to fit the beginning, middle, and end. So there's none of that descriptive language. I mean, obviously there is to a certain extent. You want to describe a room, and you don't want it to sound like you're reading, you know, a recipe yeah. book. But you also have, you have to trim down descript <laughs> descriptions um, because, you know, obviously you want to fit in the main action and the dialogue in 120 pages, and that's pretty short. But then obviously when you go to books you can't just I mean you could but I don't think it would make for good writing if you just talk about they walk into a living room carpet is brown walls are tan you know <laughs> I mean that doesn't evoke any sort of emotion so that was that was something definitely that I had to learn and figure out and I always thought I really wasn't that good at it until people started telling me your descriptions are really strong and so that was pretty cool so that's actually something that I kind of pride myself on now is trying to describe things that give you almost like a visceral response and that you can see it and it plays out. And a lot of people, though, have read it and they say my books tend to read, like you can, they're so visual you can see them almost. And I think that comes from, you know, a filmmaking background is everything is meant to be visual. So... Yeah. I think a lot of times that's how I write as well, as I want you to see it, and I want you to feel it, and I want you to hear it. But 
but you know that definitely was was a big difference is the descriptive language that you use. But I do I do like writing books better. I think now that I've like oh, over the script. Yeah, I do. I mean, not to say that I couldn't write a script because that was my original training, but. Yeah, I, I don't know if I'd be able to do a script. I wouldn't. Pages. I wouldn't know <laughs> where to start. I'd be like, uh, scene one. Uh, oh crap. Uh, <laughs> I, I, one of the <laughs> one of the best things that I've ever um, read about how to start a script and how to keep up the momentum, which is also what I try to do in my book writing as well, is that obviously. If you don't need a scene, cut it because you're trying to maintain momentum for 120 pages only. So you don't want anything extra that's going to slow down the scene. But I had read a book where they talked about when you get into a car and you start the car, you're obviously going zero miles an hour. And then you start, you pick up speed. And that's obviously how you want to start off a novel. I mean, start off a script. You get in the car and you start picking up speed. But the way that they say that you should write a screenplay is pretending that you're on a highway. So there's no stop and go versus like a side street, which has lights. So they were kind of like, you know, when you're writing it, if the scene kind of slows down the action, it takes you a lot more men- momentum to build back up. So it's almost like you want to start and then merge onto a highway and then keep going. And so that's kind of something that I've always kept in my head trying to refrain from putting in scenes that will make it slow like a stop sign and then you have to start building momentum back up. So that's something that I've always kind of viewed and I have had people say that I've got like, my books are usually fast paced. They're not, they're never like too terribly long. Both of them are at 105,000 words because I I guess the, the screenwriter in me kind of keeps that momentum going. Or at least yeah. try to. There's a, books out there that's a lot shorter than 105,000 words. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <definitely>. I'm like, <laughs> my books are usually like half that. <laughs> I can't write the epic stuff, like the the epic books. I, I, I don't know how people can like, I I just, I don't know. It's just not something that I've been able to, to master yet. I think also a lot of it depends on plot and how many players you have. Um, I try to fit a lot of Greek myths, and obviously I have a lot of Greek gods, and I have a lot of plot in my books. So I think that's why both Pomegranate and a sequel pitch fork tend to be a little bit longer. But the, my current work in progress, which is still in its first draft, um, it's a young adult dystopian, and it will be a standalone. And it's not, it doesn't have as much plot, so it's going to be more of like a, we're only covering one instance. So it's not days, it's not weeks, it's not dozens of people like Pitchfork is. It's these four people, this one scenario, this time. So this one will probably be, my goal is like 50 to 60,000 words for this one. Okay. So speaking yeah, of Pitchfork. My, my, my book ended up being about 60,000 words, so. Yeah. Speaking of Pitchfork, is Pitchfork, I know you were saying you want to do retellings of of Greek myths, plural. Is Pitchfork, 
does it continue with Hades or are you moving to a different God to focus on? No, it picks off about like maybe like two or so years after book one. And it continues with all the same players and a lot of the same characters. But it kind of like picks up on a few different things that happened in book one that kind of seemed inconsequential and then moves from there. So all, all the whole series will be about the same, you know, people. Okay. So it's not like, I, it's not um, separate gods. I just, I introduce new things. Right. And new themes. So the first one was very much of a romance and a coming, not, I wouldn't, maybe not coming of age, but more of like coming into a power and coming into herself and, you know, you know, learning who she is. And then the second book is I up the stakes and things get pretty horrible for the characters. So we thought book one was bad, was about to get worse. <laughs> and then obviously book three will then continue to expound on that and then there's like a couple more myths in that one that I, I feel like I need to use to tie off the whole Hades storyline okay so what is the most the, the biggest challenge that you've had as far as as writing and publishing um, and and just getting your book out there what do you find to be the most difficult part of the whole thing obviously I think I think this is a pretty typical answer about what's so difficult, but you know, definitely marketing as an independent author, it's all up to us to do it, and so that has been a huge learning curve. I mean, I think I remember my dad telling me you should get a Twitter account, and I was like, absolutely not. I like because I'm not like huge onto social media, although I've gotten much better about it. But before it was like I followed a bunch of typical Instagram accounts and that was it yeah <laughs> i have a, i have a pitbull and i'm obsessed with the breed so that was my extent of social media was oh he's cute oh he's cute <laughs> <laughs> look at the puppy <laughs> yeah i mean it still kind of is and my dog even has her own instagram account because i'm that mom <laughs> <laughs> um but you know marketing was it was definitely huge and i'm still learning um i really want to start getting into doing more ads um, through Facebook and stuff like that and trying to like figure out what works. I haven't really tackled them too much, but I want to start doing that. I've, uh, I've learned a lot about like how photos can be helpful and about how to edit them, and I just got an iPad and Procreate, and I have an account with like Shutterstock, so now like I'm starting to like learn how to like, use these to my advantage to get people to look <coughs> You know, obviously marketing has been difficult because there's so many books out there. I mean, you can log in and just go to, like, I, I like to look every once in a while. So I'll go on and I'll look on Amazon's, like, top 100 free books and then top 100 paid. And I'll scroll through and it's like, oh, my gosh. Like, all these books you've never even heard of exist out there. So it's like, how am I going to get my book? You know, so that's, that's been a difficult learning curve for me. Social media is think, very important in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I noticed a, a huge difference once I started Twitter. That was a huge yeah. difference in book sales. Well, that's how I found out about Pomegranate, and that's how I, I found you, and I've been following you for quite some time now. 
Um, and, and so yeah, it, it is, it is a great way to find, to find books and find, um, find people to, to, to be interested in your book. Um, mm-hmm. cause you can kind of post little excerpts, you know, like the right event games that they have. I always talk about those, but, um, the hashtag games for writers, the writing community hashtag, am writing hashtag. The, there's ways to get people to say, oh, hey, look at this. What's this? And kind of take a second look when they might not have looked just scrolling through hundreds of thousands of books under that genre in Amazon. Absolutely. I mean, that's what's happened to me. And plus, like, there's sometimes where I'll see a book, but I won't get it. And then eventually you start seeing it, seeing it, seeing it. And then you start seeing other people's reviews of it. And then you're like, well, maybe I'm missing out. So I think that's a great thing also about the writing community is all the writers know how important reviews and sharing are. And so by obviously, you know, them reading and reviewing, when other non-writing community, you know, people who stumble across your book, they might be more inclined to get it if they see that it has a relatively, you know, decent readership by reviews. Because I know that that's something that has happened to me, like when I'll look at a book that's new, sometimes if I see, wow, it's got a lot of reviews, which means like, this is obviously something it's enjoying. Maybe I'm, I'm missing out if I'm not reading and that will kind of encourage you. So I think that's another great thing too about it. Yeah, definitely. Um, there's definitely a, a sense of camaraderie and um, and willingness to help others in, in the writing community on Twitter. Um, people will tag people in, in, in follow loops and uh, follow trains and uh, share people, you know, retweet when somebody uh, posts about their book or something, you know, and, and I think that's great. Um, it is hard to keep up with all notifications when that happens. Oh yeah, I know. Oh my god! But I just actually recently bought, got my own unlimited plan because I was using too much of my parents' <laughs> data doing all of that. <laughs> <laughs> I feel bad because I don't get to see even a, a third of the posts that I get on my Twitter because there's so much. So I, I share what I can, but sometimes it gets a little overwhelming on there. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's definitely. It's a, it's a lot of information. And not just about books, but I think just information about writing in general, too, which has been incredibly helpful for me because there are a lot of things that I did not know about when I published my first book. And so that's why I'm really, really excited to publish Pitchfork because it's so much stronger, and not just because I'm a better writer than I was eight years ago, but also because I have found things and tools and help and that I never even knew existed, and it's like, oh my God, why did I not know about Pro Writing Aid? <laughs> <laughs> that is my best friend. I feel stupid, dude. You are breaking up, Angelique. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hello. I'm sorry. <laughs> you were talking about acronyms and just bleh, 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 like that. <laughs> I was saying that it, you'll like new things like all the time, and you'll be like, "What's that?" Because you know people put together all these acronyms. 
Yeah, at least they uh, they upped it, you know, because like when it was yeah. when it was 140, you were like, uh, this is a great sentence, but not 140 characters. Um, it's a little more than that, you know. <laughs> it's like, I like hey. to joke that it's a great exercise in in minimizing your word count. Oh yeah, definitely. Because <laughs> I uh, was writing a short story last January that had a word count quota, you know, and I way surpassed it and then had to sit there and whittle it down and I always joking that like Twitter prepared me for that <laughs> yeah definitely um yeah writing short stories is so much different than than writing novels because you have to you have to have all the things that are required you know beginning middle end you got to have a good plot you got to have a good story sometimes you got to have a secondary story woven in throughout and you got to do it all in like under 5,000 words or whatever the word count happens to be you know, the limit for, for what you're submitting for. And I find it a good exercise though, to write short stories. Um, because like, it was, even if it's just for my blog and no one sees it, but a few followers, you know, it mm-hmm. it's, it's an exercise in compressing a story into something interesting yet still, um, still fitting the constraints of what a short story is. Yeah, definitely. And I think it also helps you not to be wordy because obviously I have nothing against long books. I mean, I'm a huge Audible fan and the longest audiobook I've ever listened to was 60 hours. Like that was, that was a lot. Yeah. Um, so I have nothing against long books, but a lot of times when I read or I listen to Audible, I will sometimes be like, this could have been way shorter. Because it's not so much plot or content, it's words that are making it long. So I think that's another great thing about short stories is if you have to get a full story and X amount of pages, it really teaches you how to be smarter with your words. Like, can you can you turn three words into one by using something that's descriptive? Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that was great. But not only that, but I think the great thing about short stories is it really gets your creativity going. I, uh... Over the past couple past year, I've written quite a few, and two of them are just that's it. They'll only ever be short stories. I love them, but that's all they'll ever be. Um, one of them placed in a in a contest, but the contest only reserves the rights to the first airing on um, the internet. So after that, I can use it. Um, so I'm actually considering turning that into a, a series. And then I wrote a second short story that was supposed to be for something else, but then the project got canceled, so now I'm sitting on the story. And it was this idea that I had that I always really, really liked, but I couldn't really, like, couldn't form a fully, a full story around it. It, it was a concept, but I never had a great idea. And so it kind of just, like, sat in the back of my mind. And then when this project came up, I was forced to, like, to 
concentrate and to really create a plot out of it. And it got really great feedback um, to the point from, like, a bunch of different people where it's actually probably one of my favorite stories that I've ever written. And after the Pomegranate series is over, this will become my new series. So I think that's, like, the really cool thing, too, is sometimes if you force yourself to sit down and write a short story, next thing you know, you've got a book series. <laughs> yeah. I feel like I have to add to my short stories because, like, I'll write something and I'll share it with someone and they'll be like, so when do I get to read the rest of it? <laughs> so I feel like it's just a short story. Oh, no, you have to write more to this. There's, there's more to this. <laughs> So then yeah. I feel compelled to turn it into something more, and it's like, but it was just supposed to be a short. I know, that's the problem with being a writer, is we always have way too many ideas. It's like, I don't have that much time. Actually, the, <laughs> the young adult dystopian that I'm writing right now started out as a short story that I wrote on my phone on an airplane trip, and I loved it so much, but I was like, how would I turn this into a book? Because I don't really see it going past a short story. You know, like, I feel like the end is the end. You can't really go anywhere from there. So instead, what I did is I just lengthened it. Like, I I put a lot more character development, and I put a lot more scenarios in the middle. So that's actually what I'm doing now, is I'm turning this short story that I love into uh, a novel. Cool. Yeah, I've, I've got a couple that I submitted to my publisher's um, quarterly anthology, um, one, well, one I submitted and it's coming up in a, a couple, it'll be released a couple books from now, but the other one is for the next submissions round. And I decided, well, I've got these characters that are kind of, one of them's a secondary character, like a, like not even secondary, like tertiary, like side, side character in, in my sequel to my, my book abnormal. And, and it's kind of built off of that character. And then, um, I decided, well, th these two characters are in this one short story. I can work with the theme for the next round of submissions to make them into another short story. And, um, uh, it, it got to, it got to where I was like, you know what? I might just do this for every anthology. Just find a way to make the theme fit these characters and I'll just write them. You know, there'll be recurring characters in the anthology series. You know, I thought that'd be kind of fun to do, but I That's sent. A really cool idea. I sent the short story off to a couple people to beta read, and one of them uh, has already. You know, it's been a few days only, and one of them already gave, got back to me, and she's like, "Are you going to write more about this? You know, is this going to be like a longer story?" And I'm like, "Well, I hadn't planned on doing that type of spinoff series, but I suppose I could think about it." I know. Stop. Stop asking us to write more. We're already busy enough. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I feel like that's the curse of writing. Like, the more you write, the more ideas you have, and the more you realize that you will never finish. Right. Yeah. I need, like, I need to quit my job in order to finish all of these. Yeah, and then, like, you, you have, but you have to do all the marketing to be able to sell enough books to be able to quit your job to be able to write all the things. <sighs> it's horrible cycle. Like, I need money, but I need time to write. Yeah. I've actually started to write on my lunch break at work on my phone because I'm like, I'll never finish. So I guess I'm going to sit here on my half hour and write on my phone. Yeah. are probably like, oh, oh. rapid fire texting. Yeah. Like, why has she been texting for like 45 minutes without like looking away from it? Like, what the hell yeah. kind of text is this? <laughs> yeah. It's like I, I eat out of the corner of my mouth and I sit down on my phone. 
I wrote my whole first book on my phone, so I get that. <laughs> I don't think I could do pomegranate or pitchfork, like that kind of a length on my phone. I feel like 105,000 words yeah. on like an iPhone would start to be like, it would make me crazy. <laughs> but most of the short stories that I've done and this shorter novel have all started on my phone. I don't edit on my phone because, my God, yeah. I get those. I get those stiletto nails done where, you know, they're like the sharp ones. Yeah. And when they get to a certain length, they have a mind of their own. So I always apologize to people. If you ever see a typo in my tweet or if you see a typo on text message, it's just the little claws are getting way too long. (laughs) (laughs) Because you have to like angle your finger at like a weird way. And so the longer they get, the more you have to angle. And for some reason... Because of that, I always end up hitting the at symbol. I can't tell you how many texts I send with, like, a million at symbols in them. But I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> Read the letters. <laughs> just just edit it out. Just just skip yeah. over those. Gloss over those. Read the actual. <laughs> yeah. Just know what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I do enough editing on my book. I don't want to edit, edit everything else. Oh, my God. It's so funny because my mom... Go ahead. What was that? I was just saying, I was going to say something about my mom, but you go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. No, you go ahead. <laughs> no, this is all you, girl. <laughs> Fine. So, so my mom's an editor. She's, she's a writer as well, but she hasn't been, uh, she's, she's self-published some books. Um, and she's done, she's had her own editing business off and on for a long time. And she sends the most ridiculous text messages and autocorrect fails in the world. Like she can, like she edited Sorry. my first book, my, my first book that I self published on Amazon. She, she was my editor. Um, mm-hmm. so, so, you know, there's a, there's a couple of mistakes in there that I put in at the very end before, but she edits great. You know, the, the mistakes that are in the book that I haven't bothered to fix yet are all me. Um, but but she sends the most outrageous like you you spend five minutes staring at the text like what is this saying <laughs> because autocorrect has just ruined it. I yeah and you know what I think that's a problem too is when you spend so much time editing that like if you're not working on your your work in progress your brain is like nope I can't work today <laughs> and I think that's what happens to me is I have been editing pitchfork for this entire summer i you know you finish it and you start again and then you print it out and you start again and then my fiance read it and i started again and then mm-hmm. my mother read it and i started again and so it's like you sit there and you dissect and you're trying to make sure you're using the right words and then you're trying to make sure you're not repeating yourself too much or using the same things or you know it's like so much thought and work goes into this and so then when you the text you're like you going home with me now huh mm-hmm. <laughs> like, this is what you sound like you're like i can't i can't speak proper anymore <laughs> or sometimes you're so sick of the grammar and and making sure every sentence is is formatted correctly that you're just like fuck it i'm just gonna type you know caveman talk here you know like Absolutely. me hungry me need food Nom nom, you know that's like that's all yeah, I can manage. <laughs> that's why, like, whenever I see like a tweet or something with like an error, it never bothers me because I understand that all of us are like 
we're answering quickly, and all of us are probably so burnt out from all the editing that we do. Right. I do extensive self-editing before it goes to the editor, and that was actually something that my proofreader said to me is she said she could tell the amount of work that went into this. She's like, you know, sometimes you get things that are a little rough, but she was like this. She's like, this was so polished when it came to me. It flowed well. There are very few errors. And I was like, it's because I take a lot of pride in my work, and I've gotten a lot better over the past two years um, since I started writing religiously all day on the weekends, you know, nighttime, lunch break. I've gotten really serious. So, I mean, this is something that I really prided myself on. I didn't want to... I didn't want to submit something that was sloppy. Like, I wanted it to be as clean as I could make it, and that was something that she complimented me on, which was great, and it it felt really, really good to have an outside person be able to tell me that my work paid off. So, like, when I do other stuff, it's just like, no, I don't have the energy to do anymore. (laughs) (laughs) And and, and with tweets, tweets, you have to give people the benefit of – of you know hitting send too soon or something because oh my God, you can't edit those you know it's not like facebook where someone said someone jokes on you for having a mistake and you can go back and edit it and be like oh it's fixed shut up you know yeah. with tweets you're like oh that's out there now oh god damn it <laughs> plus i think i saw someone post that says the greatest group reader is hitting the send button and that really <laughs> that really is i submitted a short story for a contest and I ran it through Grammarly. I ran it through Pro Writing Aid. I went through it. My mother went through it. My mom is great. My mother reads everything that I've ever written. I refuse to submit or publish anything without her opinion. Because um, I was homeschooled. So my mother taught me, you know, first to 12. And she was never one of those moms that pretended I did everything perfectly. She was one of those moms that was like, I'm going to tell you how it is. But she does it with love, so it's great. I trust everything she says. So I refuse to, like, let my anything go without her her opinion because she's super helpful and she's really honest. And then sometimes she's really funny, too. She likes to, like, crack jokes at me, and I, I die. <laughs> I, I laugh so hard. Um, I made such a, like, I made a really funny uh, error in Pitchfork that she noticed that she actually changed my Netflix handle to that error and it stays that way now because I share her <laughs> I have her Netflix <laughs> but it went like the short story went through her it went through me it went through pro writing aid and Grammarly and then I hit submit and then of course because I'm a glutton for punishment went and looked and was like that's a typo and it's just it's amazing how these things can sneak by you that that happened to me with the short story that I'm that I'm going through the editing and, and beta reading process with right now is I sent it out to two people to beta, and I sent it out and the next day uh, I was doing the hashtag games on on Twitter and I was using a, an excerpt from there to to tweet and I looked at my tweet later and I'm like, fuck, that's a typo. There's an extra word yeah. in there that doesn't belong. And I didn't notice that reading through it 20 times before I sent it. I know. And now the two beta readers are going to be like, dude, you got this typo in here. <laughs> yeah. And then you can't you can't delete it and go to change it because it already has likes and retweets. Yeah. And bullshit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know. It just happened to me the other day and I posted something and it kept getting retweeted. And I was like, I was supposed to say it, but I wrote is. I'm like, oh, well, everybody knows what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> 
But that's why for for this time around for this book, I actually paid for a proofreader because I, I made some mistakes with my first book that I've learned from, and I'm actually redoing it to fix those issues. But that's why for this one, I paid an editor because I, I, I I'm sick of all like the the mistakes that I've noticed in the past. I'm like, all right, Beyonce read it, Mom read it. We're now we're going to get a professional to read it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably will still be mistakes because that's just how life is. I mean, even, you know. But even in, even in like the big, you know, the big, the big publishing, publishing companies, yeah. there's, there's mistakes that make it through. Yeah. Even in the big publishing companies, there's commas that don't belong or, you know, you'll, you'll find something where they didn't capitalize something or whatever. It happens. Um, when there's a lot where there's like 20 on a page, yeah, that person yeah. should have, you know, thought before they decided to submit or publish or whatever. But when it's like, Absolutely. when it's like a handful in the, in the whole 105,000 words, okay, you know? Yeah, and that, <laughs> that never bothers me about other people's writing, you know, because I always, the way I look at it is that, this is an incredibly difficult thing we're doing. Uh, people who aren't writers sometimes think that we're just throwing a story together. And a lot of people don't see the work that goes into it. Um, you know, my fiance works on the weekend, so he's not home to, to watch. But, and you know, obviously my, I don't live with my parents, so they don't see either. But nobody sees me get up Sunday morning, clean the house, sit down and edit until two in the morning. And that's what I do. Or I write. And I write after work and I write on my phone and you know that's the thing that's like it takes so much dedication so to me it never really like bothers me if there's a couple because I understand how difficult it is to put out something that's good and interesting and are you repeating the same words too many times and are you using too many pronouns versus proper names and are your sentences interesting do they are they too many short ones, too many long ones? So I get it. I understand. It's not an easy process. And so that's why, like, I'm never really that quick to judge because I understand what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. When when it's just scattered through, you kind of go, okay, huh, that's funny that, you know, that, that publisher mm-hmm. missed that, whatever. And, but when, when you uh, – I have read books that I've had to put down because this person never met a comma that they didn't like. And they use like I'm talking the Shatner comma in their in their book, <laughs> and I was like, it was a free book. I'll give them that. You know, I got it for free at a con. I was like walking around, and I I was at the at the time I was writing. Uh, I was like um, uh, writing for an online entertainment j- journal uh, magazine kind of thing. So I got into the con for free as staff because I was. Uh, part of the press um and they gave me the book free they're like oh hey hey, you know staff and press get get these books for free i'm like okay cool i'll read it and i was like no no i mean i'll be nice i won't like tear into it in a review but i can't finish this i just can't that's actually one of the reasons why i have personally decided to um redo my first book um I think the story is fantastic, but I was very naive. And it, it is not so much in the fact that, like, I refused to learn. I just 
I didn't really know what to do. I didn't have access to Twitter at the time because, and so I didn't know about all these things. I tried my best, you know, to do with what I thought was good. And I wasn't as mature of a writer than either. And thankfully, you know, over the past few years, most of my um, criticism from the book has been highly positive. It's been very, like, well-received. People love it. They think it's entertaining. I have a a very, very small fan base that's very excited for the next one. But for me personally, like, and sometimes I feel embarrassed about admitting it, but then I'm like, you know what? You can't because everybody makes mistakes. And if my journey helps somebody else, well, then that's why I'm doing this. So I have decided to redo the first book. Now, it's not, the story is not changing at all. I'm just doing basic line edits and grammar edits because I want this to be strong. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not, and, like, story-wise, it's strong, and so, like, I, I don't want to be judged on that anymore, like, I didn't put the effort in, because I really did, unfortunately, I was just, I was a newbie, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, when you're, when you're doing something for the first time, you know, there's going to be hiccups and, and things that you didn't realize, you know, like, I was reading through my first book recently, uh, looking through it, and I was like, you know, there's a lot of adverbs. I probably could have done that better, you know? Not, like, a yeah. lot of them, but enough to where I wouldn't be using that many today as the writer I am now. Absolutely. For some reason in my first book, I used the word rather a lot to describe things. So I'll say it's a rather large room, or she said rather satisfied. And I was like, oh, my God, stop saying <laughs> <laughs> You know, so, like, that's why I'm redoing it. Obviously, like, I won't redo everything ever. But I just, you know, because to grow is to be human. So my next book's probably going to be better than Pitchfork. And then the next book's going to be better than that one, I hope. <laughs> but I really feel like to do my series justice, that's why I personally have decided to kind of give this one a facelift, basically, and give it the, the proper care that it deserves. Because especially being that it's the first in the series, people aren't going to buy book two if book one's not as strong and book two is so much stronger like going back as I'm reading book one I just like kind of giggled to myself because the difference is just it's huge in my style and my word usage and my sentence structure so it's pretty exciting it's also a little nerve-wracking because like I don't want people to judge me but then on the other hand it's like you know what we're not all perfect so at least I'm taking the steps to to fix something that's very dear to my heart Right. It's always a continuous learning cycle, though. Absolutely. There are so many things out now. Like, actually, right now, I'm doing my own cover for the second book. I did the first one, but that was kind of just like a... took a photo and kind of quick edited it. But now I have an iPad, and I appropriate My fiancé is a tattoo artist, so he knows a lot about art. And so... That's another thing that's, like, a huge learning process is I'm trying to, like, break into the whole cover art, like, you know, um, industry, I guess, if you want to call it. Mm -hmm. Graphic design. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I designed my first cover, too. Um, I just basically, I painted something, scanned it. Play with it in Photoshop till the colors were the way I wanted it because the paint dried, of course, a different color than what I planned. And mm-hmm. then, um, 
and then you know uh, slap the the title and the, and the author name on there in Photoshop, and that was how I did mine. Um, but I mean, it, it it's all the whole thing. I don't think we'll ever any of us stop learning how to write, and if we do, that's when we're gonna fail. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think this is a is a a path where you can't let yourself stagnate. No. Yeah. You, you've got to keep moving, keep changing, keep evolving and, and let that evolution take you to the next place and, and to hopefully a better place. Um, if you learned from your lessons. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's why I'm a big fan of like reading and listening to audiobooks because I was not a huge reader when I wrote the first book, but then I got into Audible, and, you know, my life's very busy. I don't have time to sit and read, but I do have time to listen while I do other things, and I am, you know, self-proclaimed obsessed with, you know, um, Audible, and I think that really helps because when you hear something out loud and you hear the masters write, it's amazing how much you can learn even without even picking up like a textbook for instance to learn how to write like if you just listen to other people and I think that's always like one of the best ways to learn to write is to like listen to other people alright well we've reached uh, the time where uh, you might have the visitor back home uh, I hear your your fiance is uh, working today so you had time to talk to us <laughs> Yeah. But um, so since we're getting near that hour point and uh, you, you know, you probably want to do things, um, you know, like edit or write. <laughs> um, <laughs> tell us, let, let our listeners know where they can find you on social media, websites, let them know where to find Pomegranate. And, and you know, just give us give us some links and some places to go to, to find you and your work and to kind of see what we're what we're missing. Yeah, of course. Um, obviously, Pomegranate is only on Amazon at the moment. So that's the only place you can find it. I don't have an author website, which is something that I sh- really should tackle next. So maybe once all these edits are done, I'll get to there. But the best place to probably find me and to find Pomegranate, because I make sure that I have all of my links very clearly in my pinned tweet, is probably on Twitter. And I update Twitter daily. And so my Twitter name, um, my Twitter handle is just my name. So if you go to Nicole, which is N-I-C-O-L-E, the letter R, and then my last name, Scarano, which is S-C-A-R-A-N-O, you can find me. And then I, I have links to Instagram. I have links to Facebook. I have links to Amazon. So that's probably the best place. Plus, I check it kind of religiously. I I do that as well, <laughs> and and that's that's a, a little note I want to leave our other authors with um, today who might be listening. You know, if you've got a Twitter, do that with your pinned tweet. Put find find a place where you can make yourself a centralized location where people can go to all your places. Um, Dia Poirier, um, I I saw her tweet about making that same kind of pinned tweet that you and I have. Mm-hmm. with all your links where you can get your books etc and that i think is something that more authors should do um oh i 100 percent agree uh i think i think that's a really excellent piece of advice 
for authors is to just not just put yourself out there and get yourself on Twitter and get yourself in the writing community and everything, but get yourself as many places as possible and let people know where those places are. Yeah, I definitely agree because there have been times I've tried to look for a book that someone wrote, but they don't have the link anywhere and they don't have a pinned tweet that's there about me. And it's almost impossible to try to like find where their book. So they'll advertise it, but then not locate it. So that's something I love about the pinned tweet. It's like you can advertise and then right there, people have all the necessary information. All right, so that pretty much just about winds it up. Any last words, Angelique, before we go? Oh, I'm good. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, everybody, that's been Nicole Scarano. We've been talking with her book that is out now is Pomegranate, and the one coming soon is Pitchfork, so keep an eye out for that one as well. Uh, find her on Amazon. Um, find her on Twitter at Nicole R. Scarano. And uh, thanks for talking with us. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. All right. So this will be going up tomorrow, which will be Sunday. So when people listen, it'll be today when I say tomorrow. But um, Okay. <laughs> and I'll share the links with you and everything when we're done. All right. Uh, Y'all have a good day. All right. Thank you so much. Sorry if I chatted you off too much. Oh, Thanks no. It wasn't a problem. Well, it was great. It was fun. <laughs> Thanks so much, though. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.